Welcome to Promises Are Just Words. This is episode 31, Hitting New Heights. So for a lot of people this week is really important, especially students of mine in year 12. They'll be sitting their trial HSC exams on Tuesday. Hopefully a lot of you have all been studying, obviously practicing essays, rewriting your notes, and obviously reading over them as well too. I think one of the most important things that you can do is practicing those time responses because obviously that gives you an idea of how it feels to write for a sustained period of time. And I guess it tells you how your hand's going to feel after you do write for that sustained period of time as well because some people aren't used to writing for that amount of time. It also gives you an opportunity, I guess, to kind of feel the amount of what the amount of time, you know. So for example, in an essay you generally write for 40 minutes. And 40 minutes, I guess, is hard to kind of comprehend as a number. But when you know you only have this amount of time to write an essay, it becomes more real because the clock is ticking. So as all the trials are very close, then you can almost literally reach out and touch them. There's probably not a lot extra now that I can say or extra material that you can read that you can cram into your brain. But there is one important thing that you need to know that is part of that, and that is that the belief, the part that belief plays in your ability to complete a task. So here's a scenario for you. It's a nightclub in the city. Music's pumping. There's a group of women on the dance floor. Two men approach and see a girl they both like. One man, really handsome, great six-pack, stands on the edge of the dance floor but doesn't move on to it. The other man, I guess you'd call him kind of average Joe, he's average-looking, but he's got one thing that the other man doesn't have, and that's confidence and belief. He walks straight up to the woman, asks if he can dance with her. The other man just looks at her and he can't believe what's happening. The average man believed that he had a chance with the woman, even though he knew he could never compete with the looks of the other man. If you have belief in your own ability, it will get you a long way. Successful people believe that they are going to win, and that is the difference. Today we are learning about the placebo effect. So this links really well with what I was saying before about belief and about motivation. For anyone who doesn't know, a placebo is any medical treatment that has no active properties. So around thir a third of people who do take placebos will experience an end to their symptoms. And obviously you might be thinking, well, why is this important? Well, the same can be applied to any non-medical situations too. So if a person believes in the benefit that they will get from something, the results generally will be positive. If you remove those self-limiting um, abilities from you, you can try new things outside your comfort zone. If you alter your own perception, the expectations in the end might be a bit more positive. And if you do alter your brain state, you might get to a point where you remember what it was like to succeed. Placebos activate several areas of the brain, such as the anterior cingulate cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, even though there are no active ingredients. You don't have to give yourself a pill, though, to feel this placebo effect because engaging in anything like the ritual of healthy living, for example, eating right, 
exercise, doing yoga, quality social time, meditating. It provides some of the effects of a placebo. I guess that the belief that these activities are going to help you live longer is as strong as any pill. For those keen listeners, you'll notice that that music is a new section of the show. Uh, This is called Have a Break, and it's where I put up some kind of inspirational speech or a song to try and motivate people. So you won't hear this introduction from the next week on when I use this uh, in this section. But from then, if you hear that music, you hear the whistle, you know that's what you're going to get. So enjoy. What are the two most powerful words in the English language? The two most powerful words in the English language are I am. Because what comes after I am will shape your life. What you speak after I am, what you believe after I am, will control your decisions and shape your life. I am powerful. Whatever I want to achieve, I believe that I am capable. It's all attainable. And what you speak after the words I am will shape you. Those words will really make or break you. So be careful what you're saying every day, you. Don't let the negativity come in and take you. Stay strong and positive and you will make a breakthrough. The two words I am are so powerful. So if you say that you're stuck and you're stressed, then you are. But if you wait for the stars and you shoot, you go far. It all comes from within. Just think about it. If you believe that you're great, you will attempt great things. When you affirm I am strong, you know the power that brings. The words will shape you in a powerful way. Makes you every day look in the mirror and say, Oh yeah! I am 
another new section in our podcast. This is called In the News. And this part of the podcast is about good news stories in the media from previous weeks that showcase motivational, inspirational people and events. So the first one I've come across is a one called Salvation Army Bikes. And it's about Brisbane's abandoned and stolen bikes that have been left to rust at the tip or gather dust in police storage facilities. Thanks to the Salvation Army, it's a local initiative. Neglected bikes are getting a second chance. And obviously, they're also getting a second chance to the people repairing them. So they work out of two converted shipping containers in Red Hill. And the person that's doing them's name is Damien Sal. He's one of the people charged with revamping and recycling the bikes. They're sold through to charity. Uh, he describes it as his dream job. And uh, to be honest, it's perfect for him because he's always wanted to do something like this. Mr. Sal recently came out of drug and alcohol rehabilitation and said that the workshop had been a godsend. Things were getting worse and worse and he made the decision to change his life. The Salvos Recycle Bikes Workshop is the brainchild of social enterprise coordinator and avid cyclist Andy Steele. He wanted to create a social enterprise that could help people rebuild lives and rebuild bikes. He said it was a crazy idea that actually got off the ground and it came from Mr. Steele and Nana Fitty's Fruitcake Cycling Club, who had completed a charity ride from Sydney to Brisbane in 2018, raising $130,000. He thought, let's continue doing what they're going to do with the bike ride and take it to another level. Two years after this, he got some funding and a grant from Brisbane City Council and another sal- from the Salvation Army and got the workship, uh, workshop I should say, up and running. He also looks at the idea of who he employs and try to, tries to empower these people too. And he says that the people he's working with have gone through rehab, jail, all sorts of challenging areas and are ready to do things differently. It's creating employment, it's empowering them, and it's giving bikes back to the community. He says that the workshop has restored a lot of people's sense of purpose and given them structure and a chance to connect. It has been only operating since May, but obviously the word has gotten out about this um, really great initiative they're doing, and people in the community are saying lots of things like, uh, Judy Rushbrook found out about the service, uh, had since brought her own bike, and those of her grandchildren to be repaired and replaced. Also too, nothing gets wasted in the workshop. Bikes that are not roadworthy are stripped back and used for parts. As a result of the Salvation Army and the Queensland um, government, lots more donations are coming in and they're trying to keep this initiative running as long as possible. They say they're not going to challenge the big boys in the bike industry, but they're certainly happy to help the community and provide good bikes and good servicing. to remind everyone out there that there are many ways you can contact uh, the show obviously we've put down the link of how you can contact and leave a voice message for us one of the new things we've got is we now have an email address our email address is promisespodcast at mail.com so that's promisespodcast at mail.com this is where you can leave any feedback about the show any suggestions for future guests because i'm always looking and seeing who you're interested in me trying to contact for an interview. Uh, This is also where you can leave your answers for any quizzes uh, or you can just uh, send me an email just to say hello. So just to remind you, our new email address is promisespodcast at mail.com.
Hi, Mark. Um, first thing, thanks very much for having me in. I really appreciate the opportunity to pass through my um, experience to the kids. Um, and uh, regarding my dance career, no, uh, when I was a kid, I was like a proper Brazilian. I, uh, I only thought about playing football. Darts never came to my uh, to my head really. I uh, I was always playing football, football, football all the time up to 16 years old I think when I had an injury and after this injury um, there was something that happened in my life. My dad, um, I, I realized that my dad used to play darts as well and I never had time with my dad because my dad lived far, far away from me. Dad moved to a city when I was two only. Um, he moved to a city 500 kilometers away. So it was very hard to keep in touch with my dad. And because of that, I decided to play darts because I was really, really competitive. And I could have a chance to spend a few more days in a month with my dad. And from that moment, I start playing darts. I start traveling the world, I started qualifying and representing Brazil and uh, yeah, um, I think when, when 2012 came I was about 23 years old, something like that, 24, no actually 22, 22, we decided to make a plan and move to the UK and become professional. Um, it's it's not very difficult to me to have my focus on. Um, to be honest, I always was um, very concentrated, very focused, guys. Um, since I was in school, when I, uh, of course, it's not easy when you were a kid because you think about just playing with your friends instead of study. But when I realized I had to study, I would go through four, five, six hours in a row studying because I was really, really focused. So I never had a problem on, on focus. And one tip I could give to the kids is that you never practice for more than 25 minutes in a trot because um, you can't, that, that's scientific study, you can't have your concentration in maximum over 25 minutes. That that is one thing I I actually use when I'm practicing. I I if I practice for four or five hours in a day, I'm actually doing little breaks of three five minutes every twenty five minutes. I play. I put a timer on my um on my phone to make sure I do not go over twenty five minutes. So that one thing that you. You can practice your focus, you can practice your focus in your maximum level at home. Oh, that, that is a tough question because no, it's impossible to describe. I remember the first time walking to the Alexandra Palace. I went there just to to get to know the room. You know, there, there wasn't even people in there. The crowd wasn't there. I was there just to take some pictures, uh, doing all the backstage 
um, stuff that we need to do, interviews and things like that. And they asked me to go to the stage and take a picture on stage. And as soon as I walked through the stairs and put my, my foot on top of that big stage, massive stage, my, my legs was shaking, my hand was shaking. There wasn't even crowds there. I was just to take a picture. So I can't describe more than that. It's just amazing feeling. My name is Alyssa Azar. I am a mountaineer. In uh, 2016, at the age of 19, I became the youngest Australian to ever climb and summit Mount Everest. I've uh, since climbed Everest for a second time, and I am the youngest woman in the world to climb the north and south routes of Everest. Was it always an ambition of yours to climb the highest mountain in the world, and how did you originally get involved? It was always an ambition of mine to someday climb Everest. I think I always believed from a very early age that I would do that at some point. I think I'd first heard about it when I read a book in school that had the highest mountain in the world in it and I was quite fascinated with it as many climbers are. It's sort of got this aura and uh, yeah, I knew that someday I wanted to experience it but How that actually came to fruition is uh, I started getting involved in trekking. So I was into a lot of different sports when I was younger and pretty much from the time I started school, I did everything from gymnastics to tennis. I got involved in boxing and was just really active. And uh, I remember most weekends, my dad would go out bushwalking. So we'd, you know, put a pack on and go and hike the hills for hours at a time. And hands down, it became my favorite activity. I just loved it. And I love the mental and physical challenge of working your way up a really tough hill and just uh, having to find a way to work through that. So that then led to me getting the opportunity to cross the Kokoda track, um, which is a really big goal of mine. I had to train for a year and uh, got the opportunity to fly to Papua New Guinea when I was eight years old and spent eight days trekking across the gruelling Kokoda track. And that's really how I got into adventure. And then every couple of years, I would take on another trek somewhere. So I got to go to Everest Base Camp in Nepal when I was 10. And that gave me an exposure to Everest and the world's highest mountains. And then I got to do the Aussie 10 peaks uh, two years after that, the 10 highest peaks in Australia, all based in Kosciuszko National Park. And then two years after that, when I was 14 years old, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro And that was when I made the decision that I'm going to climb Everest, that it was actually going to become a real goal. And I was now going to start working toward becoming a mountaineer and climbing the world's highest mountain. So what type of training do you do to prepare for climbing a mountain? So training to climb a mountain is quite involved. Um, There's a lot of elements to it. And I think the biggest challenge with preparing for a climb is that it's not purely physical. Um, You really need to have everything come together. That's your skills as a climber, as well as the physical preparation and your mindset, because that's what controls everything. So my preparation started with the physical and this continued throughout. Um, So I would do a lot of 
endurance training. Um, Everest takes two months to climb, so you've got to have really good endurance. Um, so that involved pack walking, but a lot longer with heavier weights in my pack um, to slowly build up my endurance. Um, so most of my weekends were spent doing anywhere from sort of four to six hours of bushwalking. And then throughout the week, it was general fitness training. And I had to be really consistent like any other athlete. It was a lot of um, running to build up my cardio, different gym sessions, strength training. Um, I needed to be as fit as possible. And you need to have a really strong core, back and legs to be a mountain climber. And so that was a large part of my training. But in terms of the mental, it was really important to throw myself into environments that were at least going to simulate what it might be like on the mountain. So I would go and do different training camps. I would work with mentors and I would climb on other expeditions that would give me a taste of how hard it was to climb a mountain. And I would gradually get myself used to that discomfort and how to push through it. Can you provide us with an insight into what it is like on Everest? What emotions did you feel knowing that you were the youngest Australian to make it to the summit? There are a lot of emotions that you go through when climbing Everest. Uh, There's two months of travelling, living on the mountain, climbing on the mountain. You have a base camp, which is kind of your home away from home. So you go through a lot. It's a pretty intense experience as well. You're climbing from sometimes six eight, 12 hours at a time and it's incredibly exhausting and you'll redline a lot. You'll hit the wall, you'll think that you can't keep pushing and that's certainly an experience that I had and certainly the toughest day is summit day. You're climbing for 20 hours straight, you can't rest, you can't stop. The risks are huge and so you're hyper aware of that as well. Uh, but I loved my experience over there, but it was incredibly challenging as well. Uh, So you run through a lot of different experiences and emotions up there. Uh, The feeling of being the youngest Australian was something that I didn't think too much about during the climb. Uh, For me, I was just more focused on the mountain, uh, not on my age, but on just being the best climber that I could be and being as good as any other climber on the mountain. So for me, my age wasn't really a factor, but once I had made the summit, that's when I kind of realised what I had done and the record. Um, It was actually on my way down the same day that I'd reached the summit. I was then coming back down the mountain, and that's when it kind of hit me that I was the youngest Australian to ever do it, um, because that's something that didn't really motivate me, and I pushed it out of my mind throughout training, Um, but yeah, it was a pretty surreal moment to have that realisation. What's one message that you would leave with young people who have goals and dreams? I think it's, uh, it's challenging to pick just one. I've learnt a lot, uh, throughout my journey, trekking and climbing and reaching the top of the world. I think if there's something I'd want to pass on from my story, It's to back yourself and believe in yourself um, and to value your opinion as much as anyone else's in your life. I think often we do what we think we're supposed to do as opposed to what resonates with us and what we value. And the path that I took certainly wasn't normal, but it was the right path for me. And I'm really glad that I had the courage to at least take that first step. And that's something that I hope for everyone else as well. If there's something that you are interested in or passionate about but you're not sure 
take that first step and see where it takes you. Because just by doing Kokoda, just by getting into bushwalking, that led me to find my passion and, and essentially got me to the top of the world.